The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support, and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. That will include medically necessary and elective procedures. All patients, visitors, vendors, staff, and physicians entering our facilities will have their temperature checked with an infrared thermometer upon arrival. Individuals will also be asked screening questions about COVID-19 symptoms per CDC guidelines. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. Welcome to the Something Patriots podcast, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, a podcast where we talk a little something about the Somerset Patriots. Game over! Series over! 27 up and 27 down for Teasley! The Patriots are your 2015 Atlantic League champions! Patriots win another Atlantic League title! Warning track ball! Done! Home run for Corey Aldridge! His third blast of the game! It's a walk-off grand it is gone! Ball game over! Series over! And Patriots are the 2008 Atlantic League champions! Somerset! On 1450 WCTC, WCTCAM.com, and where podcasts are available. A pleasant hello and welcome to episode number seven of the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and as always, thank you so much for tuning in. A special hello to our live listeners on The Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC and as well as our podcast listeners streaming this episode on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast streaming platform. Got an exciting one for you all today. Uh, the Atlantic League has released some major news, and trust me, we will dive deep into all of that. Also, the ongoing saga at the Major League Baseball level on what to expect regarding the return of Big League Baseball. And we take a trip back to the two consecutive Somerset Patriots championship seasons of 2008 and 2009 with four-year Patriot great Matt Hagan. I'm really hoping to get back to baseball soon, uh, so let's kick it to our director of ticketing, Nick Chirillo, for his thoughts on the matter. Who wants to play baseball? Let's go! Yes, sir! Woo! <laughs> well, Nick always knows the, uh, the the right words to say, so I always like to, to, to throw it his way. Um, but all right, guys, uh, let's go over the big Atlantic League news uh, that came out earlier today. Uh, the league issued a press release at noon uh, that basically set in motion the ability for every team in the league to, quote, explore alternatives to bring baseball activities and other events to their ballparks and their communities this summer, end quote. So... What does all of this mean? Let's be clear, uh, just to start off, this is not 
not a formal cancellation of the season. Uh, there are a ton of factors uh, that go into this wording and, and all of the thoughts for all of the teams in the league and the league itself. Um, among those factors, state governments uh, for most of the teams in this league are different. In fact, there's only two teams that play in the same state. It's the Lancaster Barnstormers and the York Revolution. Uh, so all of the state governments are different, and they all have varying opinions and positions on sports and how they should come back. Um, large outside gatherings and, and what a ballpark would need to have in place uh, to reopen. So because there's all these different state governments, it's really hard to depend on all of them coming together with mutual ideas that are able to benefit the Atlantic League and to put all of these teams um, in place and in motion at the same time. Um, other factors, there's different levels of new COVID cases that are popping up in a lot of the different states. Uh, granted, New York and New Jersey were some of the more hard-hit states at the beginning of this pandemic, but now some of the southern states have seen some of their numbers increase, including North Carolina, who's seen some of their numbers increase recently as well. So there's a lot of different things that are at play here. Um, the needs for different teams in this league on the number of fans that they want in the ballpark to make every event profitable will be different as well. So there's different restrictions in place that might allow for some teams to get to a point where they feel like they could be profitable, um, but not allow for some other teams to get to that same point where they feel like they could be profitable. So there, there's still a lot in the air in terms of how these teams can get to a point where they feel like they could be profitable, which really, at the end of the day, is one of the most important factors in all of this. And, you know, even just putting together a roster, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, um, but, you know, these teams are going to have to really depend on local talent uh, to be able to pick up and play on such short notice. Uh, so there's different reservoirs of local talent at different levels, really, for these teams in, in, all, in all of these different um, states. So, I don't think that even if there were to be an Atlantic League season that started up tomorrow, that the rosters for every team in the league would look the same as they had been announced throughout the offseason. The teams are going to have to have different players, a lot of guys that are more local, that feel more comfortable, that maybe have their own housing instead of having to depend on a host family or living in an extended stay hotel. There's many variables for each team to pass, especially with the majority of them um, located in the Northeast. Uh, that the league clearly wanted to give a go-ahead uh, for each front office to brainstorm their own ways to field games at their ballpark that makes sense uh, for, for what their needs are and, and what their restrictions really are. Um, we talked about it last week as well, where staying as local as possible makes sense um, considering this current climate. Uh, we wondered if even a four-team league last week uh, that maybe consisted of just some of the most Northeast teams like Somerset, Long Island, Lancaster, and York, uh, we wondered if that would work. Um, and I don't think that's the way that the league is really moving forward. Uh, it, it makes sense that the teams want to control their own destiny of sorts um, to get some resemblance of baseball uh, back to their community as soon as possible. I mean, if you keep it local and internal, you control all of the dynamics that go into it. You control the players and their situation. You control the fans that come into the ballpark. Uh, you don't need to depend on other teams in different states with different governments also getting the same approval that you got and staying approved throughout the rest of the summer. I think that's a big part of this as well, that even if you had the approval now, the way that this pandemic has continued, things change seemingly every day. So you not only need to get approved, but you need to be able to stay approved throughout the rest of the summer. 
But, you know, in this situation, if you keep it local and you keep it sort of under your own tent, you don't have to worry about other teams that might fall into some difficult times. Um, really, all you need to worry about is your own state's guidelines and how that is transferred towards your ballpark and your own operations. Now, Sugarland already announced a plan last Wednesday uh, that fits within the parameters of this Atlantic League press release. Um, so does that mean that the teams, that the rest of the teams in the league will follow this model? I'm not so sure, but could it make sense for Somerset? I, I believe it could. You know, the Patriots recently put together a reopening plan that is currently being presented to the governor's office and the New Jersey Department of Health uh, for review. I mean, if localized professional baseball is approved for this summer, then I think it's quite realistic uh, that the Patriots look into ways to pull something off. I also think it's fair to wonder out loud uh, that maybe some of the players that have practiced with the team over the last couple of weeks that might not currently be under contract for the team, I think it is possible to wonder that maybe they would have a chance to play at the ballpark this year, um, either as a Somerset Patriot or potentially um, as a member of another team, another local team um, that could play at TD Bank Ballpark against the Patriots. All of this is interesting. It's different. Um, it's something that's evolving every day. And it, it seems as though um, with this new Atlantic League announcement that each team will sort of travel down their own path, at least for the, the near future. But again, this is not a cancellation of the 2020 season. This is just a go-ahead from the league to allow these different ballparks, these different front offices to find ways to bring baseball into their own communities. Hopefully, and you know, with the ultimate goal of having an Atlantic League season and bringing all of these teams back together and trying to return to as normal of an Atlantic League season as we can possibly have. Now, quickly shifting to Major League Baseball, there's been a lot going on in a short amount of time. It seems like there's more momentum than there previously had been um, for a start to a 2020 season. Commissioner Rob Manfred was meeting with Tony Clark of the Players Association a couple of days ago, where there were reports from John Heyman and others that said that there was a lot of momentum towards a deal. Uh, it seemed as though that the owners in Major League Baseball wanted to move forward with a 60-game plan that had fully prorated salaries, expanded playoffs, universal designated hitter, which is another complete other topic that I could get into in a different time. Um, and it seemed as though a lot of people thought that this might mark the beginning of the end of these negotiations, that we might actually be close to baseball, that a spring training 2.0 could start in late June, uh, still mid-July, a time frame to start the season and the season potentially ending around the end of September. Uh, it came out on Thursday that the players have a counterproposal where they want to play 70 games at a prorated salary. So the two sides are still apart, even though it seemed like they might have been a little closer together. They're still apart for the time being. It could change by the time that this podcast is produced and released. But for now, at least there seems to be more momentum and these two sides being closer to a deal than we previously had been. Um, there were some reporters that were suggesting that 66 games, I think it was Jason Stark of The Athletic, that proposed that 66 games couldn't make the most sense just from a scheduling perspective. There's not going to be a lot of wiggle room in terms of rain dates and rescheduling contests, but if the owners seem ready to move forward at 60 games prorated and the players want to move forward at 70 games fully prorated, hopefully 
there at least seems to be the beginning stages of a bridge uh, where these two sides can meet in the middle. And I'm sure all of you guys are with me in hoping that um, that we get baseball back sooner rather than later and that we can start to move forward uh, with baseball, not only in the Atlantic League, not only at TD Bank Ballpark for the Central Jersey community, uh, but for the rest of the country as a whole. I think we could all use some baseball right about now. You no longer have to choose between an amazing network and an amazing price. When you switch to T-Mobile, you get both. Visit a T-Mobile store or tmobile.com to find out more. The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support, and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with eight locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com. And we're back on the Something Patriots podcast. Again, my name is Mark Schwartz. Really, really appreciate um, all of you guys that are tuning in. It's episode number seven. Um, so it's just, it's really nice to be able to keep doing uh, these shows week in and week out. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Matt Hagen, who is our guest, of course, for this week's episode. And it was an absolute blast to talk baseball with Matt. Uh, a really notable member of the Somerset Patriots during uh, some of those really fun seasons. He spent four years with the Patriots, spanning from 2008 through 2011. Uh, He was a two-time Atlantic League champion with the Patriots. Uh, Of course, those back-to-back rings in uh, 2008 and 2009. He was a three-time Atlantic League All-Star. In terms of his all-time ranks in Somerset Patriots history, he ranked second in doubles, Fourth in home runs, RBI uh, games and at-bats. Fifth in hits and stolen bases. Sixth in walks and runs scored. Uh, He made three playoff appearances in his time in Somerset as well. Uh, So it was not a surprise at all to find out that he was the latest member announced to the all-decade team for the Somerset Patriots for seasons between 2010 and 2019. Uh, a little bit about Matt before he got to the Patriots. It's interesting. He was a originally a 12th round draft pick by the Seattle Mariners, and his first opportunity to play independent baseball did not come with the Somerset Patriots, but it did come in the state of New Jersey. 
Uh, he actually wound up finishing up the 2005 season. Uh, he was originally a draft pick in 2002. In 2005, he finished up that season as a member of the New Jersey Jackals. Um, and interestingly enough, um, for nine of the games in which he played for the Jackals to finish the 2005 season, he was actually teammates with longtime Long Island Duck and current high point rocker, right-handed pitcher, John Brownell. Patriots fans, of course, know about John Brownell quite well. He's one of the most notable starting pitchers in Atlantic League history. And Brownell wound up playing nine games with the New Jersey Jackals all the way back in 2005, uh, the same season that Matt Hagan was there. I think that just goes to show how long John Brownell has really been um, around the Atlantic League. Uh, but eventually, Hagan would join the Patriots in 2008. He played 2007 in the Frontier League um, with Rockford. Came over to the Patriots in 2008, recruited here by uh, Brian Adams. Did not have a starting spot uh, to begin his first season, but wound up getting a starting spot. He worked his way into the lineup, and he had a tremendous year. A 308 batting average, 17 home runs, a career high at the time of 71 runs batted in, a career high of 34 stolen bases. And you guys will remember that 2008 team was absolutely loaded, especially in the lineup. Uh, that was the Josh Presley uh, Atlantic League Player of the Year season, uh, where Presley just went off. He also tied a franchise record uh, for home runs in a single season of 30, uh, along with his teammate that same year of Brandon Larson. Uh, we heard Josh Presley a couple of episodes ago go into a story about him and Larson, and um, Matt actually recalls that very same story in, in the upcoming interview. So uh, that was a fun one, um, certainly with Matt. But, I mean, some of the other names, Travis Anderson, Elliot Ayala, Jason Belcher, uh, Therese Oliveris, uh, Ryan Radmanovich, Sean Smith. That was a loaded lineup. And Hagen, for the most part, would hit a little bit further down in the lineup behind both Presley and Larson. So a lot of really good RBI opportunities in a stacked lineup. Um, of course, the Patriots wound up winning the Atlantic League Championship that season. Uh, that was the Travis Anderson walk-off home run uh, year. Uh, they won that series over the Camden River Sharks at TD Bank Ballpark. And then Hagen would come back in 2009 and have arguably even a better season, hit 317 with 10 home runs, a career-high 75 runs batted in. Um, that year, he played primarily second base. In 2008, he actually split a good amount of playing time between the outfield and the infield. In 2009, it was pretty much all at second base. That was the year Jeff Nettles returned to the team, and the Patriots eventually won um, their second of back-to-back -back Atlantic League championships. That team also set a franchise record at the time of 86 wins in the regular season. Uh, and then Hagen would come back for 2010 and 2011. That 2010 season had a really exciting conclusion. Um, at one point, when the Patriots were battling for a playoff spot in the second half, they enjoyed a 27-game stretch in which they went 22-5, and which is an absurd stretch. Eventually, the team made the playoffs and had a really memorable first-round series against the York Revolution. It went five games. The Revs uh, won game five in York, one to nothing. A tough loss for the Patriots, um, but still a really exciting series. And that wound up being the last time that Hagen would make the postseason as a member of the Somerset Patriots. He came back for the 2011 season. A lot of injuries that year. The team uh, did not make the playoffs. It wound up marking the first time since 2006 in which the, the Patriots did not make the postseason. And then after that season, Hagen was pretty much done with professional baseball, but was recruited to play one more year with the Sugarland Skeeters down in Texas to join Josh Presley, 
who at the time who became the first player in franchise history for the Sugarland Skeeters. Um, so Hagen uh, had an opportunity to continue his professional career for one more year and then hung up the cleats after 2012. But he's still enjoyed a good amount of success since. Uh, he's made his way up the coaching ranks in the Texas Rangers organization. He spent his 2017 season as the manager for Short A Spokane. Uh, both 2018 and 2019, he was the manager for the Low A Hickory Crawdads. And just recently, Hagen got a promotion. He uh, is now the, the minor league field coordinator for the Texas Rangers organization, which is an awesome job. And we are so happy uh, for Matt that he was able to have that opportunity. And uh, in our interview upcoming, he does discuss how a lot of what he learned in Somerset has actually transferred over to both um, his mindset as a manager and his mindset now as a field coordinator. So after we come back, we will have that interview with Patriots legend Matt Hagan. Whatever this season brings, you'll be there for the Patriots, and TD Bank will be there for you. Bank 24-7, online, or on the TD app. Or, talk to a human by phone anytime. TD Bank, unexpectedly human. Visit tdbank.com. TD Bank, America's most convenient bank. Member FDIC, TD Bank, N.A. The Something Patriots podcast is also presented by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is making it easier to see a doctor from home and cutting your costs so you can get the care you need. Here for you now and always. Learn more at horizonblue.com always. The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care, protection, support, and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. And welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. My name is Mark Schwartz, and today I have the pleasure of being joined alongside another Somerset Patriots legend, it is Matt Hagen, who we have on the phone right now. Matt, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm doing good. Good. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no problem at all. It's been uh, it's been fun to go down memory lane a little bit with these uh, with these different episodes. And I mean, for you, the, the amount of time that you spent in Somerset four years from 2008 to 2011, man, those were some exciting years in Somerset. Um, I guess when you when you look back at that entire time, before we get into the nooks and crannies of everything. Um, you know, what, what are some of the first memories that sort of pop into your head? Oh, man. The you know, first <laughs> memories are uh, probably coming to spring training and it being a little bit cold, uh, as it tends to be early in the spring in New Jersey. And um, <laughs> maybe knowing one of the guys on the team, uh, I think that was it. Um, but from everything that I had heard, everything that I had seen uh, online um, about Somerset being a first-class organization, I was really excited to be a part of it. 
and honestly, just hoping to make the team. Well, I, I want to get into that um, and, and sort of how your 2008 season here began. Uh, but before we do that, let, let's go down a little bit further into your career and, and remind some of our fans that are listening to this uh, on how you got to Somerset, what, you, what your path was like here. Um, so you were originally a 12th round draft pick by the Seattle Mariners out of Liberty University in 2002. Uh, you spent your first four seasons with the Mariners organization, and then in 2005 you finished off that season uh, playing your first um, your first opportunity at independent baseball with the New Jersey Jackals. Um, so I guess my first question for you, I'm, I'm curious what that experience was like for you um, with the Jackals making that transition to independent baseball, and, and also if you knew anything about the Somerset Patriots uh, when you first came over to Jersey. Well, when I first came to Jersey, no, I did not uh, know much about or anything about the Somerset Patriots. Um, like you said, independent baseball was a new experience for me coming from the Mariners. Um, in a lot of ways, it was a very refreshing and renewing experience. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different it's a different formula. You know, a lot of times in, in affiliated baseball, uh, there are a lot of factors that go into um, playing time, lineups, are you know winning versus uh development trying to find the right combination um and then you get into independent baseball and my time there with the jackals um i was lucky to be part of a team that was trying to get into the playoffs and uh we came up a little bit short but everything was about winning and it was about can you help the team win um you know baseball back at its most pure form of competition and uh that was refreshing for me um a little bit revitalizing for me, and it was just a lot of fun to uh, to know that if you perform well, you get to play, um, and there's not a lot of uh, ulterior motives uh, when it comes to, um, you know, independent baseball and just trying to win games. Mm-hmm. So after your time with the Jackals, you're able to sign a contract. You go back to the San Diego Padres organization, uh, split time in 2006 between uh, High A Lake Elsinore and uh, AA Mobile. And then um, after that, 2007, uh, back in independent baseball playing for Rockford in the Frontier League. And then in 2008, you're able to make your way over to what you described, and I'm going to ask you about this later, but what you described in an athletic article as the magic land of New Jersey <laughs> with the Somerset Patriots. Um, so I, I'm, what was your path like, I guess, after that 2007 season leading into 2008? How, how did you find out about the Patriots and, and what sort of led you here? Well, uh, so, I, yeah, I sent uh, – I'm, I'm sorry. I spent the 2007 season in Rockford, Illinois, and um, had really not had consistent playing time for the last two or three years of my career – I get there, um, I get an opportunity to get almost 100 at-bats in a row. And by then, I started to kind of uh, remember, in a way, how to play the game, remember mm. how to hit. I, I got comfortable in my own skin again. And to tell you the truth, my confidence came back. And it's hard to get your confidence and your timing when you don't play every day, and that's something that I deal with every day now, um, you know, working with guys in the minor leagues. Uh, try to give them the opportunity to – to develop the timing at the plate every day and to get their confidence up. But when that happened for me, and I remembered, more or less remembered how to play the game and remembered how to hit, um, I said, man, this is it's a lot of fun. I want to keep doing this. And I had a friend of mine from college, uh, Brian Adams, who was a left-handed mm-hmm. pitcher, um, a very great Somerset Patriot in his own right. Yes, uh, I called him up and I said, you know, hey, Brian, I, I, uh, 
kind of want to crack at the Atlantic League, and I don't really know anybody but you. You know, can you put in a word with, uh, you know, with Brett Jody, um, trying to get this ball rolling? So he made the introduction. Uh, I talked to Brett on the phone, and he said, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, we we have an opportunity for you. We don't know exactly where you're going to play. Uh, at that time, Jeff Nettles was playing third base, and it's pretty hard to come in and steal steal playing time from Jeff Nettles, a <laughs> uh, guy that holds uh, almost every single Atlantic League record. Pretty much, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I said, hey, can you just – I just want to come in and be a part of the team, and, and we'll see what happens. And um, So I go to spring training, end up having a good spring. Uh, there's an opportunity for me to make the team. I make the team, and, and – uh, yeah, leading me down the path of uh, a great a great run in Somerset and the magical land of New Jersey. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> um, so just so our fans know, your numbers in Rockford that 2007 season, really strong, a career-best 335 batting average, 13 home runs, 62 RBI, 27 steals over 93 games. And then you carry those numbers into a really strong first season in Somerset. So that 2008 year, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with Josh Presley about that team. And one of the things that he loved talking about were all of the guys in that lineup. I mean, yourself included, Josh, Travis Anderson, Elliot Ayala, Jason Belcher, Ryan Radmanovich was on that 2008 team, Brandon Larson as well, Sean Smith. I mean, the names go on. Um, So for a player like yourself who was really trying to carve out a role, um, what was that beginning of the season like for you with with such a potent lineup in Somerset? Well, the truth be told, the uh, the guys that were playing there had more experience than, than me. They had played at higher levels than I had, and um, you know, I was starting off coming off the bench, and it was a learning experience. I was soaking up as much as I could, and I think I probably learned more in my first month in Somerset by playing with better players. Uh, than I had learned in the last couple of years being stuck hmm. um, at the same level of affiliated baseball around players at the same skill level and same experience. Hmm. So uh, it was an incredible thing. I didn't get to play until a couple of, uh, you know, we had, uh, I'm trying to think now, who was uh, Michael Ryan mm-hmm. and uh, had a collision in the outfield with uh, Jeff um, Duncan. Yes. And they ran into each other. Ambulance carries one of them off the field, and all of a sudden, I'm playing every day. Um, so without that happening, you know, the door may never really open because the team was just that good. Um, you know, the names that you just named, every single one of those guys had a heck of a career either in Somerset before and after Somerset. Um, it was a really, really special time of being around some really, really good players. So you were an all-star that season. Uh, your overall numbers in 2008, a 308 batting average over 117 games. Uh, you set a career high that year with 17 home runs, also a career high, 34 stolen bases. Uh, I'm curious, though, you had a career high in home runs, um, but Josh Presley and Brandon Larson that year, uh, both of those guys tied for a Somerset Patriots franchise record um, with 30 home runs. Do you remember or can you recall any memories from those two guys sort of battling it out for a home run chase on the team? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I had a great seat for that because I hit uh, hit behind both of those guys. So I was either on deck or in the hole watching those guys hit. And I think all the pitchers were able to take a big exhale when I finally came to the plate. I finally got got past those two guys. But, uh, you know, Josh's 
preparation and work ethic was, uh, you know, legendary. And um, his ability to study pitchers, uh, you know, some guys like myself try to keep things as, as simple as possible. And uh, there were, uh, Josh was on a different level. He was on a different level <laughs> with his ability to break down pitchers. And he would take a little bit of a lead um, in the RBIs and the home runs or something over Brandon Larson. And then as soon as he did that, Larson would just flip the switch and go, "What? How many home runs my back? Two? Okay, I'll go hit two. And sure <laughs> enough, he hit two home runs. It was it was uncanny. It was two very different approaches. Um, you know, Larson was more of a um, uh, just just a uh, go up there, keep things simple, and trust his incredible abilities. And then um, Josh was much more of a precision, uh, keep a journal on every pitcher in the league kind of guy. Um, but to but to see two guys that you know, probably finished one and two. Oh, Josh won the MVP, but Brandon should have been right behind him. Mm. Uh, to watch those guys go every single day um, was was really special. So the team uh, makes it to the postseason that year, and uh, eventually uh, you guys win an Atlantic League championship. And uh, to tap off that 2008 season, one of the most memorable moments in Somerset Patriots history, that, of course, was a uh, game four walk-off home run from Travis Anderson. Um, I've gotten the memory from Josh on his on that event. I actually spoke with Sparky Lyle last night um, about his recollection of that event. So I'm curious what your memories were of, of that Travis Anderson walk-off home run, that, that whole playoff series, and, and just the feeling of winning a championship in 2008. Yeah, that was uh, – you know, I was fortunate to win two championships in Somerset, and I played 11 seasons made the playoffs seven times and won two championships. It's really, really hard thing to do. Mm. Um, and so for, for me, it was my first championship. I was just overjoyed. Um, and then to do it with such a special group of guys that were, you know, uh, more than just teammates, you know, we just were friends and, and, and to this day are very close, was really, really special. And to do it on the home run from Travis, um, I mean, that's going to be a highlight that they'll show in Somerset uh, you forever until the end of time. And it was incredible just to be in the dugout. As soon as he hit it, as soon as he hit it, everybody knew we won. We were champions. You know, there was no, like, let's wait and see if it goes out. He hit it. Everybody starts running to home plate, and, and the season was over, and we were champions. And it couldn't happen to a better guy. You know, Travis, it's amazing because you go back and look at his numbers, and they're sneaky good. I mean, sneaky yeah. good. But, you know, he didn't get a lot of the credit that he maybe deserved at the time. And... um and for him to have that unbelievable moment, uh, it, it was really rewarding for everybody because we knew what a great teammate he was and we knew how much he cared about everybody and, and how much he cared about winning. Well, when, I, when I spoke with Sparky Lyle last night, he had mentioned that uh, throughout the year, uh, Travis Anderson was such a patient hitter uh, that he would always wind up working two strike counts and you know he, he would see some tough pitches so the numbers weren't fully indicative of his success and and then uh, I think he, he either swung like first pitch or second pitch at that at bat hit the home run. And, and Sparky mentioned how he was so happy, not only just for himself, but for obviously for you guys. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what your memories were of playing for Sparky as a manager, of being around Sparky as a person. I, I get, what did you take away from your experiences uh, with Sparky Lyle? Well, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that I've tried to incorporate um, now still being in baseball that I, I took from my time in Somerset. And 
you know, I'll, I'll do something and people will be like, Hey, where'd you come up with that? And it's like, man, I, I learned that in, in Somerset where, um, to Sparky's credit, uh, the culture in the clubhouse was the most important thing to him. And we hear, you know, you hear about culture, you hear about momentum and in today's world, these are not things that we can quantify. So some people can't wrap their head around them, but they're very real. And, and, and Sparky knew that. So it didn't matter how good a player you were. If you didn't fit in the culture and you weren't there to win and you weren't going to be a productive member of that clubhouse, you were out. I mean, you were just flat out. You were not, you were not welcome there. But, um, if you wanted to fit in and be a good teammate and you wanted to go out there and try to win every single night, then you fit right in. And I think that was probably Sparky's best attribute in my opinion. Um, was that he was just really, really good at keeping the culture light, keeping it fun, joking around, knowing when to push the buttons in terms of um, kicking guys in the butt a little bit, like let's get it rolling. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, he was one of the first people to come put his arm around you if you were having a tough time. So, yeah, I, I definitely took a lot from my, from my time uh, there with Sparky. Well, you mentioned culture, and I think one of the biggest themes for your stretch in Somerset was that there were guys, yourself included, that just kept on coming back year in, year out. I mean, after you won the 2008 championship, going into the 2009 season, uh, Jeff Nettles returns to Somerset, but you're back, Josh Presley's back, Anderson, Ayala, Belcher, Oliveira, Smith, I mean, Brian Adams from the pitching staff, Jim McGrain. Uh, Jason Standrich joins, Josh Miller, Casey Cahill. I mean, I could go on and on about the names. Um, but what do you remember about your core group of guys who had just won a championship in 2008, basically deciding to come back and try to do another run at it in 2009? And then uh, we all know how that story ends, you guys, of course, winning back-to-back championships. Yeah, it's a pretty rare thing um, at that point in people's lives where you're um, you know, some guys are uh, trying to trying to get a couple more years out of their baseball experience, um, but the reality of life outside of baseball might be knocking on the door. And to see that many guys come back, I think, speaks volumes to the culture that we had. Um, winning it uh, in 08 and then in, again in 09, we still had a large group of guys come back in 2010 because we said, hey, we – you can't win two and then walk away. You know, we got to try. We got to try to do this one more time, and we almost pulled it off. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of guys, and you mentioned some of those guys, like uh, you know, I, Tra- Travis Anderson, great, tremendous culture guy. Casey Cahill was, um, gosh, I mean, you know, he was an all-star the first year I was there. But his greatest attribute might have been his ability to um, keep things. Uh, loose in the clubhouse and also be the, some of the, gl- the glue that kind of, you know, kept us together. And, um, I mean, I could just go on talking about everybody. He just, he just dropped a, a couple of names there. Luis Olivares or, uh, Luis. Therese. Therese. Yeah. Therese. Yeah. Gosh. Sorry. I haven't said that name in a while. Therese Olivares. Um, it's been 11 years, man. So it's- yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting old now. Uh, I mean, he had a heck of he had a heck of a couple years there too, and yeah. uh, you know he was my double double play partner, and uh, you know another guy that probably would have been hitting middle of the order, top of the order for a lot of teams, but because we were so deep, he found himself at the bottom of the order, and, and uh, but still just went about his business every day, and um, yeah, a lot of good memories about all those guys. <laughs> 
Did you ever – I think it was Presley who told me that Casey Cahill was a big fantasy football guy, and that, that was one of his big things in the clubhouse. Did you ever participate in that? No, I'm not a fantasy football guy. I got to be the MC of the draft one year, though, so that was a good right. experience. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were – gosh, where were we? We might have been in Long Island or someplace, and we rented out uh, the ballroom there in the hotel, and nice. these guys came in and had the draft, and – you think these guys are competitive on the field, and then you see yeah. them in the draft for the fantasy football league, and it's like, man, I didn't know a couple of these guys could could trash talk at that level. So, pure entertainment. <laughs> well, I I guess that you know that all goes back to what we were talking about before about culture, and I, I know that uh, one of the things that Sparky Lie also used to love to do was have some of these open bars where guys would really get to know each other, um, not only on the field but off the field, get to know each other as people. Uh, do you feel like that really contributed to you guys getting closer and ultimately having success on the field? Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, you know, I, I say this, you don't have to be friends with everybody that you play with, but you need to respect the guys mm-hmm. that you play with. Um, but I think we not only respected each other, but we were friends. And, uh, you know, some of those outings that, that Sparky put together definitely contributed. Um, gosh, I could tell some stories about, <laughs> uh, you know, Sparky, the, the 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 signature move, taking the teeth out and putting them in somebody's drink. That's right. Know, yeah. Whoever whoever the new guy was, and I remember him doing that to uh, Adam Amin. Yep. And uh, you know, he didn't know what to make of it at the time, but um, boy, we laughed and laughed and laughed. Yeah, those were some really good times. Uh, so on the field, 2009. Uh, I want to get to the to the championship run. You, you beat the Southern Maryland. Uh, Southern Maryland Blue Crabs in four games, win back-to-back titles. Uh, the team overall that year, honestly, Matt, uh, you guys won 86 games, which at the time was a franchise record. Uh, was there a sense when you were on the field that, look, every, day in, day out, these were our games to lose, that, that nobody could really match up? And, and did that confidence carry into the postseason? Uh, was that the vibe around the clubhouse? Yeah, I think so. Even coming in from spring training, you know, we were going to go try to defend our title, and we felt like we had the best club. And make no mistake, you know, we were a very confident group. Uh, and, and we had earned the right to be a confident group. And I think, uh, throughout the season and going into the playoffs, we felt like as long as that whole team was healthy, nobody was going to beat us. Um, mm. you know, we felt like we could have taken on anybody in baseball at that time. It was, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of weaknesses. Our bullpen was strong. Our starting pitching was really strong. And then the lineup, uh, you know, every night, even in the playoffs, we had one or two guys on the bench that were really good players. You mentioned earlier, um, after you win the championship, you're like, well, we just won back-to-back. You can't not try to go for a three-peat. Uh, so let, let's go to 2010, and I want to fast-forward to the end of the 2010 season. Uh, you guys were battling for a playoff spot, and you had enjoyed a stretch of 27 games from August 10th to September 6th in which you guys went 22-5, and five. Um, so a big-time push towards the end of the second half to make the playoffs, and then um, and then you have to face the York Revolution, who were a big rival at the time in the, in the first round of the 2010 uh, postseason. So what were the emotions like um, for you guys, you know, coming off of the strong second half, going into the postseason, and then gearing up, and we'll talk separately about that series itself, but gearing up for a big series against York? Well, York was up and coming at the time. They'd gotten better every single year. Um, and I remember we had a lot of injuries that season. And, again, we felt like if everybody was healthy, we were the best team. 
Mm. And we get to the last month of the season. Uh, Josh had had some injuries. I had had some injuries. Jeff Nettles had had some injuries. We had some injuries on the pitching side. And we were just beat up. And then as soon as everybody got healthy, um, you know, we, we went on that stretch there, like you said, that 22 and 5. And, uh, I think it was Lancaster that was chasing us. And they, they had a great run at the same time. But, you know, every time they would win, we would win. And we were able to, you know, just edge them out to, to get in. And, uh, you know, tip my cap to, to York. You know, they beat us. Um, and, uh, it was a, it was a hard way for that 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 run to come to an end. So about that series, uh, it went five games, and I, I don't mean to bring up bad memories, but uh, just for a reminder for our fans, um, it went five games. Uh, you guys split the first two games, um, one apiece to begin the series in New York, and then one apiece back home. And actually, in game four, um, your boy Brian Adams, seven and two thirds innings of shutout baseball. Um, you guys win game four, seven nothing. And then you go back to York for game five and it's, um, it's not a game to remember. I mean, it's a good game, but it's a one nothing Revs win. Um, you know, the Patriots are held to three hits. The only run in that game was an unearned run in the bottom of the seventh. Um, York takes the series. What, what are your memories, I guess, of that series specifically? And I guess the way that it ended, um, for all of you guys in there. Oh man, uh, just that it was really hard, hard fought. You know, it was a really hard fought series. I remember, um, I remember looking for a changeup with two strikes and hitting a home run, thankfully, uh, in New York because I actually got that pitch. Mm. And, uh, I also remember in that game five coming up, I think I had first and, oh, was it first and third with one out and, uh, first pitch cutter, I ground into a double play ball shortstop inning over and I'm just sitting there like man all I gotta do is you know get a base hit hit a ball in the outfield you know a swinging bunt something <laughs> and of course I hit into the to the double play ball and uh you know those are the things that we tend to remember because we think we have opportunities to to win the game you know going back to the clubhouse and looking around my teammates faces and uh know the heartache and the disappointment you know if you include spring training you know you're almost at six months right there of I'm getting after it and grinding every single day. So uh, just to give you credit personally, you had a strong series. You hit 316 over those five games. The home run that you mentioned, three runs batted in as well. Um, so the season ends in disappointment. And then 2011 turned out to be your final season with the Patriots. Uh, the team did not make the playoffs that year. Um, first time that the team failed to make the postseason since 2006. Um uh, Elliot Ayala, Josh Presley, and, and Jeff Nettles were still there. Uh, but after the 2011 season ended, it was it became a different time, and it was almost the start of a new era for the Patriots. Um, Elliot Ayala went over to Bridgeport. Josh, uh, Jeff Nettles would play one more season for the Patriots, but you and Josh Presley wound up going over to the Sugarland Skeeters. So I, I'm wondering if you could sort of talk me through what that off season was like for you after 2011 and then deciding to play what turned out to be your final professional season um, in 2012 with a brand-new team down in Sugarland, Texas. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. Seeing Elliot in the, the Bridgeport uniform was weird. So I'm sure – I mean, I was like, that just – it's not right. That just doesn't seem right, dude. You're, you're a Patriot. Like, you're a Somerset Patriot. What are you doing? And then, of course, oh, I'm playing for Sugarland, so I guess it, it might have looked equally weird. But, no, I – you know, I was I was done. I was done playing. Um you know, I wanted to come back and have one more year there in 2011. 
And, you know, when that, when that season finished and it didn't, it didn't go the way we had wanted it to, it was a up and down season all year. We just never seemed to really get traction. Um, a lot of guys come to the end of their, of their playing days. And, you know, the last game in Somerset was a fireworks night. I sat in the dugout, watched the fireworks, shed a few tears and, you know, remembered my life as a, as a baseball player. And then I was going back to school and I, I went back to school, finished my degree and, um, started coaching. Um, mm. and then at the time, uh, the season ended where I was coaching back at Liberty. Um, and with a week to go in that season, I get a phone call from Josh Presley. He's like, Hey man, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, well, we're just finishing up the season here. He's like, are you in shape? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm in shape. Why? You know, what's up? And, uh, my wife now, girlfriend at the time had just, uh, moved to Texas. Oh. So here's, here's Josh, who's one of my best friends. Um, saying, hey, man, do you want to come play? It's in Texas where my wife had, uh, my, had just gotten a job. Um, and it was a chance to play, you know, half a season essentially for a new team. Um, I've been throwing BP and hitting fungos, and I guess that counted as being in shape, although I, I probably really wasn't. <laughs> but uh was able to go down there. And I, and I felt like, you know, my time in Sugar Land was every single day was a bonus. It was an extra – gift to still put on a baseball uniform and go out and compete and play and you know got to play for uh, you know another great and, and Gary Gaetti and uh, you know beautiful ballpark um, and, and just be part of an inaugural season in itself was a pretty cool experience. So how weird was it um, to see Sparky Lyle in the opposite dugout and to see the Patriots in the opposite yeah. dugout and and then come back to Somerset what was that like for you? That was that was really weird too you know I, I came back um, we're playing at Somerset, obviously, and which is still to this day my favorite ballpark in America. And oh, nice. to be able to, uh, you know, I'm looking over there and seeing Brett and, and seeing Sparky, uh, and I, it's, I was like, I, I feel like I'm going to run into the wrong dugout after an inning <laughs> at some point in this series. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an out or an inning's gonna end. I'm gonna run to the wrong, to the wrong dugout. Um. But it was great, you know, just to, just to see those guys, give them a hug, uh, you know, share a few old memories. And then at the same time, the, you know, the competitive juices turn up a little bit because you're, you're playing mm-hmm. against people that you know, know and respect. And, um, unfortunately I didn't play great against everybody that year, but I think I did okay against Somerset and, uh, <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. So, um, so that winds up your, your professional career and then, uh, I want to give some of our fans an update on to what you're you're currently up to because uh, I think it's really exciting and you know for a lot of us in the Patriots community we love to to follow the careers of the guys that were here and I mean you've become one of the more notable guys in terms of extending your baseball career um, after your time in Somerset uh, you've been working in the Texas Rangers organization uh, you were a manager correct me if I'm wrong a manager for um, short season Spokane in 2017. And then uh, for the Hickory Crawdads in 2018 and 2019, and you were just announced as the field coordinator for the Texas Rangers for their minor league system in 2020. Um, so that's awesome. First of all, congratulations on the new gig. Um, what were, I guess, you're welcome. <laughs> um, what, what were your experiences like, um, I guess, moving up the coaching ranks? In the, in the Rangers organization and ultimately um, getting this new gig as the field coordinator? Uh, it's been great. I mean, it's, um, 
it, it's it's different to be on the other side now <laughs> and to see the game from uh, a different lens uh, for sure. But it's it's been great to continue my baseball education and still be around the game and try to pass on some of the things that, that I was able to take away from the game and some of the experiences and, and try to try to ensure that some of these young guys now get to have those same experiences. And, uh, you know, one of those things that, that I've tried to pass on is um, as we seek to, to, de- to develop players, but also teach them how to be winning players. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that I learned in Somerset about being a winning player and what that means, as is the case uh, with the game, a lot of these, these young men put a lot of pressure on themselves to, to have success. They have pressure from, you know, parents, agents, uh, front office, uh, coaches, uh, whoever. Okay. So, you know, one of the try, things I try to tell them is guys, if you just simply go out there and play for each other and try to win the game, all those other things are going to, are going to take care of themselves. Um, don't be the kind of guy that goes out there and just tries to go get his two hits and then, <laughs> He's happy while the team lost, you know. Um, if you can take the spotlight off yourself, try to put it on, on the team and on your teammates, you're going to you're gonna shine and you're going to have your moments and you're going to put up your numbers and you're going to be alleviated from some of the, that stress and from some of those pressures. And, and uh, you know, now in the new role, I don't get as much time directly with the players. Um, it's more with the coaches and with the managers and, uh, you know, we've got some really good people in our organization and hopefully I can just pass on one or two things that they can, that they can add to, you know, their daily repertoire. Do you find it difficult to try to bring that mindset of contributing on a daily basis towards, you know, team goals and winning? Is it difficult to get that across to some guys that have had other stops in major league organizations or whether it be players or, or coaches or, or is it, a, a bit easier than I would anticipate in, in trying to get that message across. Well, it's it's tough with uh, you know today's culture in the first place. You know, a lot yeah. of these kids grow up being told it's all about you. Make sure you get yours. Um, step on people if you have to to get to the top. Don't worry about anybody else. So it's a hard it's a hard message to con- convey at times. And and look if if our prospects you know don't develop and we don't produce major league players then you know, we don't keep our jobs either. So mm. we have to produce guys who can play at the major league level. Uh, but I do think that, that there's a balance to it. And um, things are more, it's more fun when you win anyway. So, uh, you know, we have the argument that just because a guy makes it to the major league doesn't know he doesn't mean that he knows how to be a winning player. Mm. And I think that's part of his development. In my opinion, you have to develop these young men to understand what they need to do to play winning baseball, how do you close out a game with a, a small lead in the last three innings? How do you come back when you're when you're down in the last two or three innings? Um, you know, there, I think there's a lot to be said for that, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with you know your stat line at the end of the year. Um, but at the end of the day, we're trying to win at the major league level, and I think we have to develop players that know how to win games. Oh, I love that. I, I look, I absolutely love hearing that, and I could talk to you about this stuff for days um, because this is like candy for me. Um, but I, I do want to bring uh, the conversation back to Somerset and sort of tie a bow on our conversation here. Um, <clears throat> earlier this week uh, for the recording of this show, you were named to the Somerset Patriots all-decade team uh, for seasons between 2010 and 2019. So 
um, wound up being your last two seasons here in Somerset and maybe statistically, you know, your best two seasons might have been 2008, 2009. But either way, you had been previously named as one of the top 20 Patriots of all time prior to the 2017 season. So I'm just curious, um, from somebody in your shoes who's carved out such a nice career for yourself after your time here, what does it mean to you to have fans? I mean, these are all fan votes that we're talking about. To have our fans remember the contributions that you made to this team, the contributions that you made to this community, to, to still think of them so fondly, what, what does that mean um, for you? Oh, it means a lot. I mean, you know, the the sun sets on, on the playing days of everybody, you know, and um, a lot of times we only get to relive those glory days in our own minds. And uh, to know that, that people reflect on your time, on my time in Somerset fondly, um, it's great. It's, it, you know, it's warming. Um, but, you know, that doesn't happen if we don't have a tremendous group of people. And that's coming from, you know, honestly, from Mr. Califer on down. And, uh, you know, the goal to run a first rate and a first class organization every single day just happened to trickle down into the clubhouse with players who wanted to continue to live up to those standards. And, uh, I just, I think that, um, I, I think that being being remembered is, uh, you know, doesn't happen if other people don't have success that I'm playing with, and uh, without those those teammates that you know list of teammates that you named, um, I'm probably just another guy that that you know was able to play for a few years in Somerset. Well, uh, you know, to a lot of us that are still here in the Patriots community, you're not just another guy. Um, <clears throat> your contributions, your seasons. Your championships, your all-star appearances, all of that are um, are certainly remembered. And, um, you know, from everyone here, Matt, we, we've been really enjoying following your career. We wish you the best of luck. And, again, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day today to uh, to speak with me. Oh, it's been great. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been fun to take a little stroll down memory lane and uh, makes me realize I need to call some of my old teammates and check in and see how people are doing. Um you know, it's, it's, Somerset was a place, and, and that was a time I'll always look back fondly upon. And very, very grateful for the opportunity to be a Somerset Patriot. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by NJM. At NJM, we understand the hardships you might be going through right now. That's why we're offering payment relief. We'll continue providing you protection no matter what tomorrow brings. Because dealing with uncertainties is our business. This isn't just insurance, it's NJM. The presenting sponsor of the Something Patriots podcast is RWJ Barnabas Health. You've been putting off going to the hospital. We get it. Be assured that safety, yours and ours, comes first and is embedded in everything we do. We're taking the appropriate precautions and using best practices to continue to ensure the highest quality care protection, support, and comfort for all. With that in mind, as the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New Jersey has passed, RWJ Barnabas Health has begun to initiate a resumption of services. Keeping with the governor's executive order and adherence to all public health guidance and regulatory policies. Get more details about our reopening at rwjbh.org backslash welcome back. Let's be healthy together. The Something Patriots podcast is brought to you by Flemington Car and Truck Country. After the latest executive order, Flemington Car and Truck Country is open to sell cars in their showrooms by appointment. 
Choose from over 16 manufacturer brands, plus over 500 available certified pre-owned vehicles with unprecedented discounted pricing and available financing for qualified buyers as low as 0%. Flemington Car and Truck Country, with 8 locations on routes 202 and 31, is following all CDC guidelines in their showrooms and on delivery to protect and assure both customers and associates. Start your search and make your appointment at Flemington.com. And welcome back to the Something Patriots podcast. Uh, Not too much to go over before we finish up this week's episode. A huge thank you to Matt Hagen, who joined me for uh, this week's interview. Uh, Before we go, a couple of things. One, on the day that this podcast airs, so Friday, June 19th, we are getting ready for our first ever drive-in fireworks night at TD Bank Ballpark. The fireworks go off at 9 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Uh, So again, June 19th, the time of this airing. Uh, So be sure to be on the lookout for that and for more fireworks nights that are going to be coming up relatively soon. Uh, The Patriots have not yet confirmed those exact dates on when the next fireworks shows will happen. Uh, But I can tell you that they will happen. And I would imagine announcements in the not too distant future, uh, maybe some fun stuff planned around that Independence Day time frame. So certainly be on the lookout uh, on all of the Patriots social media channels for more updates on those. We also just announced three new drive-in movie dates. Uh, So Thursday, June 25th will be the third showing due to popular demand of The Sandlot. And then uh, Friday the 26th and Saturday the 27th will both feature showings of another classic baseball movie, another really feel-good film, uh, Rookie of the Year. So uh, hopefully you guys were able to get your tickets for those that went on sale earlier today at 10 a.m., And we hope to see everyone back at the ballpark uh, for the drive-in fireworks as well as our upcoming drive-in movies. And again, if you didn't get tickets for those events, please continue to stay tuned to more events that we're going to announce as we continue on further and further into the summer. Of course, we talked a little bit about the status of the Atlantic League earlier in this episode, uh, but you know, one way or the other, we are going to have events, hopefully baseball, but we are going to have events at TD Bank Ballpark, so stay on the lookout for more announcements on all of that. So that'll pretty much do it for us this week. We'll be back with another episode next week, another special guest, hopefully more information on the Atlantic League and how it's proceeding, uh, more information on how we plan to bring baseball back to Bridgewater. If you have not yet already, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast where you might listen to it, uh, whether it be on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Something Patriots podcast. The Somerset Patriots would like to thank the presenting sponsor of the podcast, RWJ Barnabas Health. They would also like to thank the supporting sponsors, TD Bank and Flemington Car and Truck Country, with proud sponsorship from T-Mobile, NJM Insurance, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, and NJIT. Other thanks go to Flemington Department Store, AARP New Jersey, Sanofi, and Financial Resources Federal Credit Union, all valued partners of the Somerset Patriots. The Something Patriots podcast airs live on the voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC and on WCTCAM.com every Friday night from 6 to 7 p.m. With the archived versions also available for download on SomersetPatriots.com and on participating podcast platforms. The show is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, 
and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.